From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. I'm Richard Serrett, and I'm uh, delighted to be back in my home studio. Quick programming note, coming up next week, James D. Eugenio, one of the foremost JFK assassination researchers, will be here. This will be the, what, 58th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Jim D. Eugenio, incidentally, is the gentleman who wrote Oliver Stone's latest documentary on JFK. So who knows? Maybe Jim will bring Oliver Stone along with him onto the show. Well, probably not, but you never know. You never know. Jim and Oliver work uh, pretty closely together. You know, as a kid, I absolutely loved Mad Magazine, Alfred E. Newman, and terrific uh, satirical magazine. A lot of it, as a 10, 11-year-old, a lot of it went over my head. We didn't have it in the house, but my next-door neighbor was my best friend growing up. His older brother had a big stack of Mad Magazines, and I would go over there, and we would... I used to like Spy versus Spy. Incidentally, I just learned, actually. I didn't know that up until three years ago, Mad Magazine was still around. The final issue of Mad Magazine was published back in April of 2018. Think about that. It launched, I think, in 1952. 1952 to 2018. That's nearly 70 years. What is that, 66 years? That's quite a run. Alfred E. Newman was 70 years old. Who knew? I mention this, Mad Magazine, because I'm looking at the cover of Charlie Robinson's book, Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. And again, it's hypocrisy, C-R-A-Z-Y, hypocrisy. But when I look at the cover of the book, it reminds me a lot of Mad Magazine. There's Uncle Sam looking a little worse for wear. It's going to be draggled. And he's in a straitjacket in a rubber room looking, well, kind of crazy. So we're going to delve into the state of poor old Uncle Sam with Charlie Robinson. And Charlie has uh, been with us before. Previously, he wrote the book, The Octopus of Global Control. After that, he co-authored another book called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. So tonight marks his uh, third time on the program. And again, this one's called Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. And uh, when Charlie isn't writing books, he's the host of the Macro Aggressions podcast which can be found on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Rockfin, YouTube, and Iconic. And uh, he's also the co-host of the wildly popular Roundtable podcast, The Union of the Unwanted. Charlie, welcome back to the program. How are you? What, me worry? (laughs) I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we've got Uncle Sam right where he belongs, in a padded cell. And I think after what we've witnessed over the last, uh, well... 10 years in general, but the last two years specifically, I think he's right where he belongs. Right. Who did the illustration for that? A guy named Mike Farron. I saw his work. And it's funny, you mentioned the Alfred E. Newman Mad Magazine, because that's what I was kind of going for. I didn't want it to be Ben Garrison, where it's too noticeable. So I wanted to be kind of a more of an obscure 
artist and I saw some of his work and I, I just immediately said, that's my Uncle Sam guy. Would you be interested in doing this? And he said, tell me about the book. And I told him, he said, oh, yeah, let's do it. So right. I wanted to have with that but well, really all three of the books, I want you to just be able to take a look at the cover and in three seconds go. I think I know what this is about. Let's do it. So if it's an octopus on top of the world for the first book, which was a logo idea that I borrowed from the National Reconnaissance Office because they had that slapped on the side of one of their satellites, the octopus around the world. And the text wrote, nothing is beyond our reach. And I thought, that's, wow. that's pretty scary. So I used that. The second book is Building 7 wrapped in the American flag midway through going down as a controlled demolition of the American empire. I think people can figure that out. And the new one, just because it's got Uncle Sam on the cover, but let's not kid ourselves. It's not limited to Uncle Sam. I mean, this sort of insanity is spreading and it's not confined to the United States. It's not confined to the Northern Hemisphere. It's happening a lot of places. And I think that people are tired of it and they recognize it. They recognize the insanity. They didn't sign up for this. They want to be left alone. And yet the governments around the world are making it increasingly more difficult for people to be left alone. And so we're starting to see people frustrated, throw in, you know, 18 months of uncertainty with regards to viruses and jobs and inflation and all that. And you have a recipe for a lot of people to be very angry about the current situation. Did you start writing this book during COVID? Yeah, I started writing this in 2019, pre-COVID. I'd started uh, the controlled demolition book with Jeff Berwick the same year. I wrote a huge chunk of it, sent it over to Jeff. And while he was working on his part, I had a different idea for a different book. So I started on this one. I took a break, you know, so I was kind of ha- working on two books at once. When it got time for me to finish this one, I needed to go back, obviously, and incorporate the COVID component into the new book because it's such a obviously important part. It's not just virus related, but it's the psychology behind governmental dictates and trust the science and science with registered trademark, you know, right. <laughs> that science. And and so there were a lot of components of the frustrations that Americans were feeling that were kind of coming out of the COVID narrative. But it's not to say that that's the only problem or that that's the only thing that we need to talk about. Obviously, it sucks up all the air out of the room for sure. I mean, it's the main thing that's been talked about for the last 18 months. So I have to mention it, but I also recognize that I didn't want to make it just a COVID book. So, it, I, you know, we get into a variety of topics. Obviously, the corporate media is at the top of my list of directing my anger towards them. We've got governments. We've got the woke lunatics on, you know, that are doing their thing and organized religion and all that good stuff. So, I, you know, wherever there's hypocrisy and let's face it, it's pretty much everywhere. I wanted to make sure that I addressed it in the book, including my own hypocrisy, right? I mean, we're all guilty of it. I'm not trying to point fingers and say that I'm above having hypocritical thoughts. In fact, the first time that it really occurred to me that I was saying one thing and doing something quite different was I kind of had a built-in excuse, but I was installing the baby monitor over my daughter's crib while I was right in the middle of the Edward Snowden disclosures about how everyone was spying. The NSA was spying on us and reading our emails. And I'm going, I'm installing this thing going, yeah, but it's for her protection. I just need to, to watch her. And then I'm thinking, gosh, is this what they, this must be how they rationalize it for us. Like, oh, it's for their protection. They're far too stupid to be able to handle themselves. We have to watch well, her. Charlie, your sin is 
hardly it could be compared. Uh, you know, what is that saying? A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. I mean, we're all hypocrites. You're right. But we don't have the guns, right? We, right. <laughs> when my hypocrisy gets exposed, it's me installing baby monitors when I'm against surveillance. State, exactly. Right. When the government gets exposed for their hypocrisy, people die. Or, That's just it. That's it. Yeah. And and so though I have a well enough balanced sense of humor that I can laugh at myself, I don't find the government's hypocrisy charming. I find it very dangerous and insulting and frustrating and inconsistent. The rules for thee but not for me type of mentality that rubs everybody the wrong way. So, you know, I'm going to make a list with all of the governors and senators and people that got busted on their COVID vacations whilst in the middle of telling other people that they're not allowed to travel for holidays. So I had to make a list of those people, right? They deserve to be dragged out in front of the general public and reminded of their rampant lies and have that sort of thing documented and footnoted so that people can double check my work and go see all of it. So though these topics are serious, the things that we're getting into in the book are relevant and important it always comes from like it has a comedic slant to yeah, it. Yeah, it is. It's very funny. And it's also very stream of consciousness that you sit down and write like just sit it not all at once, obviously. But in my mind's eye, I'm sitting there just you can't type quickly enough to get it out. And you're writing huge swaths of this book all at once. Like if you could stay up for 100 hours, you'd be writing for 100 hours straight. Is that how the book came together? You just pour it out of you? Okay, I think we've exposed that you are working for the NSA now because there's <laughs> there's no possible way you could have known. No, yes, I I did. I had there were certain didn't happen all the time, of course, but there were certain portions of the book where something happened, I sat down and I started writing and a couple hours went by and I feel like I came out of some sort of like trance or ayahuasca session or something you know right. what i mean and like i looked and the screen was filled with all of these words that i had written i've had people ask about the format of writing the book and what was the most difficult part of writing the book and frankly the most difficult part of the book was trying to decide what to cut out because i could have gone on and on and beaten this horse to death multiple times with the hypocrisy of religious leaders and politicians and things like that so I had to narrow that down. The writing part was relatively easy. The editing part was the most difficult component because I had so much material to work with. There's so many people out there that are saying one thing and doing another thing. But I kept writing up until the very last minute. I was going back in there trying to find as many relevant and recent articles that people could dig into in this. So I think a lot of people will, will laugh at the absurdity of it all but probably walk away from the book a bit frustrated because the things that I'm writing about, though, you know, funny on the surface, they have real world impacts. I mean, these are the types of things that are going to matter to us moving forward. So if you write about Federal Reserve hyperinflating the currency during 2020 and, and creating 40% of all dollars that are in existence just in that one year, and and we write about how this is a unsustainable and kind of like a Ponzi scheme, you know, people may snicker at that until they realize that they may be holding their assets, their net worth in U.S. dollars. And if they are, it stops being funny really quick when they start to realize that what's been done has been done to them. So um, trying to find that balance between waking people up, scaring them, but not 
scaremongering just for the sake of of trying to scare just trying to inform people of the reality of the situation which is kind of scary without it being overly dramatic was what i was going for and i feel like the humor component of it will keep you hanging in there through the dark parts in the book where you want to just throw your television set out the window which you probably should do anyway but you'll get to these points where you'll just you'll have this frustration you how do these people how are they allowed to do this and then there'll be a joke in there and then you'll get a good laugh out. It'll keep you hanging in. I kind of had to do it with the octopus book as well, because when you get into these dark topics that are really serious, you I mean, you just, you hope that somebody doesn't go, oh, this is just too much for me, you know? So you got to kind of keep a little bit of a lightheartedness to it just to keep them hanging in there. Right. We have to laugh because otherwise we'd cry. Charlie Robinson is with us. The new book is Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. And again, we should point out that it's hypocrisy spelled H-Y- P-O-C-R-A-Z-Y, as in crazy. And uh, how do we get a copy? Amazon has the paperback and the Kindles. Digital versions can be found on my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. There's a part in there where you can just donate via PayPal, and I send you the digital version of the book. So people can go to my website and sort that out. But there's 480 footnotes in the book. And the reason it's not meant to be like an encyclopedia or anything like that, but I realized that while I was about a third of the way through the book, I better show my work on this one because some of the stories and some of the examples I was giving were so preposterous and so unbelievable that I was I felt like there might be a point where people might think I was making it up. And so I said, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I, I don't give anybody any place to go. If you if you think I'm 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 making uh, you know be, embellishing just for for the jokes, I get it. I totally understand. It sounds some of the things that have, that are in the book are so. Well, for, that, for instance, here's one that I'm sure you had to do a citation because people wouldn't believe it. But Leonardo DiCaprio flying eight thousand miles in his private jet to pick up his environmental award. they don't see it though that's the problem is that they don't see it he then left and spent a week on the fifth largest yacht in the world in uh, in the mediterranean which look i don't i don't fault him for those things right if you're a movie star and you've got the money and you're flying in your private jet and you're doing all and you're flying you're 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 cruising around the Mediterranean in a boat that puts off more carbon emissions than most cities. I get it. If you've got the financial ability to do that and you're not interested in saving the world or doing right. But don't whatever. lecture us on. Yeah, that's the point. That's the, the problem. Right. That's the problem. It's when you get him going up in front of the cop 26 climate summit and meeting with all of these people and he's going to he's going to tell everyone hey listen i'm going to i'm going to come up here and i'll speak as well at this event and i'll tell everyone what we need to do to save the world and then all 400 of us can fly out of here on our private jets and just go all and just <laughs> and just pat ourselves on the back for such a job well done so yeah. Right. I mean, every every day you just pick up the newspaper and you could just you could keep writing volume after volume. This stuff practically I know I, I won't say writes itself because that would that's a oh. discredit to you. I mean, you're you're putting it through giving it a, a kind of a comedic lens. Otherwise, as I say, we'd have to cry about this stuff. But uh, you, you mentioned COP26 and I don't know if uh, um, this happened in 
Glasgow or it was in the G20, I guess, in Rome, where all of these leaders were driving around in their electric vehicles. Did you read about this? It turns out the electric vehicles, how did they power them? With diesel power generators. <laughs> I saw that. They had they had barriers up blocking the diesel power. Look, these people are hypocrites. They They say one thing and do another thing. And that's you know, that's not the biggest crime in the world. Again, it's not it's not a big deal if your buddy does it to you or your friend does it to you or whatever. But these people have an intention of remaking society based on climate change. And they know that that stuff isn't what they say it is. And they know that and then act accordingly. So it, we it's theater to them, whether it's the mask theater. We've seen plenty of those videos of floating around this summer of all of them uh, at the at the summits with their masks on for the pictures. And they're like, and we're out, you know, and then everyone just takes their masks off. And it's like th- this is it's it's theater of the of the absurd it's uh it's theater when it comes to the climate component of it it's uh, but if it and if it was left just there i could just appreciate it for being uh ludicrous and we could laugh at it but the problem is that of course the decisions that are made at these summits are going to have real world impacts on us. Uh, we'll be the ones paying the price. We won't be getting the exemptions for, you know, to be able to move freely around the the world. But of, of course, these guys will. So it's, um, um, you know, it's 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 funny to a point, but then it takes on more. Uh, it, w- it won't be funny at some point when, when the things that they're talking about have now been implemented and they're being used against us under the guise of saving the planet, which they, of course, have no interest in doing. All right. We'll uh, take a quick time out, Charlie. Stick with us uh, back with more of my conversation with Charlie Robinson. The new book is Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. We'll also take questions and comments from our YouTube live stream. And uh, Ryan, you can uh, you can put those together and send me uh, a list of questions. And also, of course, we'll open up the phone lines as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Charlie Robinson is with us, and the brand new one is Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards, and Hypocrisy spelled H-Y-P-O-C-R-A-Z-Y, Hippocrazy. Uh, look for the um, the illustration of poor old Uncle Sam in a straitjacket on the cover, and it's available at Amazon. So uh, there's hypocrisy. As you as you uh, were pointing out, we're all capable of that. That's kind of a human trait. Uh, but again, people let's call them the um, the uh, the media elite, the the uh, the ruling class. Uh, there's a there's an element of sociopathy here. I mean, I, I think in order for these people to do what they do, you know, if if we were to do something like that and get caught, we would be shamed for life. I mean. You know, we'd crawl into a corner somewhere and, and you'd never hear from us again. We'd be so embarrassed. But these people, they just get up and they do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. And there are no consequences. You have to be, I would think, a bit of a sociopath to be able to pull that off, don't you? Oh, of course. It's it's required. It's um, 
it takes me back to that that Noam Chomsky interview he did a while ago where he was he was being interviewed by a guy, a UK journalist, and the UK journalist said something like, What are you trying to tell me that it, what I, I don't believe what I'm saying? And Chomsky said to him, No, no, what I'm trying to say is if you believe something different, you wouldn't be where you are. And I think with a lot of the media or you know, the the media, politicians, whatnot, th- it is run by psychopaths. And but you don't need to convince them to do these things. You don't need to train them to do these things. It's it's a it's a lot like Chomsky's answers. If you believed doing things a different way, you wouldn't be there. You would be some. You would be working at a gas station. You wouldn't be the head. Uh, you wouldn't be Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, who I would suggest is as qualified to run CNN as a guy that works at a gas station. But he's a psychopath of the highest order. So he doesn't have a problem instructing the people in his morning meetings to lie. He doesn't have a problem saying, well, you know, we're not going to we're not going to focus on this. You get the Project Veritas hidden camera videos where the guy has a CNN producer. And he says, well, you know, you know, we're really just going to we're kind of done with the, the Biden stuff. We're going to pivot to climate change now. And you go, oh, OK. I mean, we knew you were going to do that. Of course, any of us that are paying attention understand this this scam that's running on. But. But when the media makes the decision, we're done with this. We're now on to something new. I think that it 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 it's not that's not how you would do it if you were on to something relevant and important. It's it, it's not that. The reason why Jeff Zucker knows that it's time to pivot to climate change is because it's not about it being relevant. It's not about it being important or 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 uh, a reasonable thing to talk about. It's about selling a narrative, and it's narrative time. For climate change. So he got the memo, probably from the Council on Foreign Relations, maybe the Atlantic Council, German Marshall Fund, or Bilderberg. One of these groups is telling him, it's time to get off of, of what you're normally doing, and let's talk about this new thing, which is the reason why these media, these legacy corporate media companies move like herd animals. You know, like once one of them moves, they all move in that direction. Once one of them picks up on a story, they all move. So you, you've you got to keep an eye on the mainstream media. They are psychopaths and pathological liars of the highest order. But, the, but an interesting thing has been happening lately, and that is that they've told so many lies that they can't keep track of them all anymore. And the funny thing about the internet, for better or for worse, is that it it's keeps forever. track of <laughs> it's keep track of what you've said. So when you've got like CNN putting the CDC director on and they're saying one thing, they're saying, hey, if you take this this injection thing, uh, you won't get COVID. And everyone's looking around going, I don't think she's allowed to say that. But she said it on CNN, you know, and then and then <laughs> and then a couple months later. CNN says, well, we, we never said that. And we, you run videos like, well, would you like me to show you the video of you having them say that? And I said, well, that, that we don't, things have changed. The science has changed. Exactly. You, know, yeah, you can't catch them in the lie no. because they just re, they reframe the question or, or move the goalposts. Well, I wasn't, that's not what I meant. Or, uh, you know, you're, you're too dim to understand what I was really saying. There's just no, there is no accounting there is no um uh, you know there's no payback for these people they just continue to get away with it and that's what's so demoralizing i think for the rest of us peons is that the the media class and the uh the ruling class um first of all there's no opposition i don't know no. um 
like up in Ontario here, for example, we've got the uh, the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, you know, and they're all for for lockdowns and vaccine mandates. And the opposition, instead of pushing back and saying, "Hold on, maybe you know, there's an, another way," no, they want to lock down harder. That's the opposition. So, you know, what's a, what are poor slobs like us to do? And then the media are instead of you know trying to hold them to account, they're cheering them on. They're cheering them on. Yeah. So there's and nobody. There's nobody speaking for us great unwashed. No. And denying reality while they do it, too. As you see, a 100,000 people march past the BBC's office. BBC doesn't report on anything, you know. Um, the, and, and, of course, this is happening all over the place. Melbourne, you can look at the cut, the front page of Melbourne uh newspaper this morning after they had a hundred thousand people march not a word about it right so the media then gaslights the general public by telling them either directly or or by just refusing to cover the stories what you see out there what you're interested what you're trying to to make us aware that doesn't exist we're not talking about that and there's a segment of of the population that has been unfortunately conditioned to believe that if it doesn't appear on their nightly news, then it isn't happening. And consequently, if it does appear on your nightly news, then it is happening exactly the way that the nightly news says it's happening too. So that's dangerous. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to the truth in, in the media and here in the United States, Obama did something that was very unusual. It kind of flew under the radar, but he he passed something called the Smith Modernization Act of 2012. And what that did is it it amended the original Smith Act that came out in 1948, which prohibited propaganda to be used inside America on Americans. And what Obama's law did that was stuffed into the NDAA and passed along in 2013 with everything else that had nothing to do with this. His law said, no, no, we, we're going to allow for a certain amount of propaganda to be used on Americans in America through the media. Good luck figuring out what percentage of your nightly news is that propaganda and what percentage is not, because it's all mixed in there, like information sausage, and you could try and figure out where the lies are. So I would suggest that Obama didn't change the law legalizing propaganda if he didn't intend to use some propaganda. So that's where we get down, you know, to where we are right now. If you have a a conversation or even a debate with somebody in your circle that's like a normie, so to speak, remind them of that. You know, remind them of this, well, I don't know if the media, I mean, yeah, the media doesn't get everything right, but I don't know that they're necessarily lying to you. Say, no, no, they took the extraordinary step of legalizing lying to you in 20. Uh, with, in 2013. So they're going to be lying to you. It's not a matter of if they're going to do it. The, the question is just about how much. This level of coordination now, though, we have between the the, uh, the ruling class and the media class, this is unprecedented. I mean, uh, yes, there was always some corporate control and, the, and, and, and a concentration of media ownership. And, you know, we all know the story of how, you know, 27 media companies became 12 and then now it's five or six or whatever the number is. Um, but even, let's say, going back 10, 10, 15 years ago, 
there there was some pushback from the media. I mean, is there a is there was there a pivotal moment? Do you think? Can we sort of mark it mark a line in the sand when it all changed? When the media became uh, the media party, basically, and a cheerleader for for authoritarian regimes in this I country. Think when, I think when Obama came in, I think that the media in the United States was terrified of Dick Cheney and the Bush administration, and they were terrified uh, of um, they were they were scared of these guys. They still had an adversarial relationship a little bit of, with with the administration, but once Obama got into office. The media felt like their guy was there, and it felt like a blur, a blending of uh, the mainstream corporate media and the White House. And it wasn't limited to just the the media blending with the White House. Social media blended with them as well, because I put a, a a list a chart in the book of all of the people from the Obama White House that now have jobs at Facebook very high level jobs at Facebook. So what we're seeing is it used to be that there, like I said, there was an adversarial sort of relationship between the press and uh, the government and they had to keep a check on one another. And they knew, yeah, the CIA was infiltrating the, you know, the, the, the media through operation mockingbird. And we knew about that. That wasn't a big secret, but you're right. There was, it seemed like there was some pushback, but that's, that changed, that changed a little over 10 years ago. And now it's, it's, um, well, I mean, just look at the, the leaked, uh, emails of of Hillary Clinton talking about you know can we get Maggie Haberman who's a a, a reporter can, Maggie always writes good stories about us maybe we can get Maggie in here we can get her to write a good story about us so they've always been manipulating and sweet talking the press you know and sort of you scratch my back I'll scratch yours but it is it's now turned into uh, that the, there's no checks and balances the media is fully captured and I mean and I. I they were captured before, but but like you said, you felt that there was a bit of pushback. Uh, Trump came in, and Trump broke the media's brains. I mean, they for all his insanity, and there was plenty of it. What he did to the mainstream media in general and CNN in particular was outstanding because he reminded the general public that they are fake news. And I was never a Trump fan, and I'm not on the red team or the blue team. Um, but when he said that, I thought, good. Now everybody's, you know, obviously the people on the right are going to listen. The people on the left will never listen to anything Trump said because they hated him so much. They were blinded to that. But in, in actuality, he was correct on that point, at least that, that, uh, the mainstream media is fake news. They're fake news because that's their job. That's their whole point of being in existence. They're not in existence to get great ratings because um, my my business part I, – I work in real estate too. My business partners in real estate, they had a, their own home renovation show on HGTV, just a, a simple home renovation Char- show. In Charlie, Vegas. sorry. Pardon the interruption. I'm just looking at the clock here. I'm, I'm a little bit oh, late for a break, so we'll take a quick time out, come back, and we'll pick up on that point. Charlie Robinson, hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, next week on the program, Jim DiEugenio will be here, noted JFK assassination researcher. He wrote uh, Oliver Stone's latest documentary on JFK and 
hopefully, maybe. You never know. Jim might bring uh, Oliver on the program, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. A bit of a long shot. (laughs) Anyway, Jim will be here for the full two hours, 58 years since uh, JFK was assassinated. Also, again, I want to shout out to Deep Paul and Tim Sullivan, two of my uh, Patreon supporters in the Star Chamber tier. Thank you so much for your generous contributions. It really makes a big difference on the program. And... um, I'm sincerely touched uh, by your generosity. Charlie Robinson is with us. Hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double double standards. We were talking about the media and how uh, it's not about ratings. I mean, if it were, uh, obviously, you know, uh, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo would be uh, long gone, gone, and um, the other fellow, uh, Steltzer, uh, they have no ratings. I mean, they, uh, I, I could open the window here and shout out the window and probably more people would hear me. Uh, so well, that, that was my point to yeah. the story of the, the show that my business partners and I were doing just a, a home renovation show for HGTV. Well, we would look at the ratings for that. We did that for three years. Our ratings for this obscure show that ran on a Thursday night that, you know, was, was doing pretty good, but not killing it. Our ratings were double CNNs. Wow. Double. They're, they're, and, and, you know, so they've got the studios and thousands of employees and million dollar anchors and all of this stuff and all of this stuff for what? It can't be for, <laughs> you're not getting the best quality anchors if you've got Don Lemon and, uh, and Brian Stelter and the like. So what is it about? Is it just about people that'll play ball? Well, there, and a Zero Hedge article came out a couple days ago that said that there's, there's about to be a big shakeup at CNN with the on-air personalities. So if there is a God out there, please, I don't ask you for much, but please just go ahead and make this happen as soon as possible. Thank you very much in advance. Um, I was earlier, you were saying, you know, you're, you were talking about some of the things that Trump did that were good. And one of them was, you know, pushing back hard against the fake news media. Um, But then you said, you know, you're not blue or red, you know, I, I recently spoke with uh, Mickey Willis, who who uh, wrote Plandemic, mm-hmm. and he was telling me, you know, I, he was a hardcore lefty. He was a Bernie supporter up until, you know, he started investigating this whole COVID thing. And he had this awakening because he realized that the only people pushing back against COVID uh, are, are people sort of right of center. And I'm not talking about, you know. Republicans necessarily, because we have the rhinos and so forth, but just uh, conservative people, salt of the earth people, rural people, uh, the only ones, you know, standing up and saying, hell no, I'm not going to I'm not going to vaccinate my seven year old. They have a statistically zero chance of getting covid uh, or dying from covid, rather statistically zero with no underlying conditions. Uh, but if they take a jab, they have like one in 5,000 chance of coming down with myocarditis. That's, that's heart damage. Uh, and it seems that all of these people that are pushing back are, tend to be right of center. Are you, are you coming around to that same kind of conclusion? I am. It's an interesting thing. I think it has to do with your level of trust in the media. Your level of trust in the media is, you know, directly proportionate to your level of trust in the vaccine. And of course, my level of trust in the media is zero. So I think you can extrapolate where how I fall on that spectrum when it comes to the shots. But but, you know, it shouldn't be 
it is, but it shouldn't be a political debate when we're talking about medicine. And yet it's turned into that. It's turned into, you know, I put a a, a chart in the book talking about masks. It was just bullet points. It was like the stages of masks. It started with, eh, don't wear the mask. They don't work, you know. And then it was, well, they don't work, but don't buy them because we need the hospital workers to be able to get them and everything. We don't want you to take take them all and create a supply shortage. The last thing on the list of the evolution of the mask uh, debate was I wear a mask so that people don't think I'm a Republican. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're yeah like, exactly. Wow. Yeah, it's the okay. ultimate uh, virtue signaling, isn't it? Right. I wear masks because science. I care more about I, I care more than you do. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. It's a virtue signaling component to this that that says uh, I'm more obedient than you. I'm, you know, it's so it it did an interesting thing. It it deputized morons into having a purpose in life. You know, guys and women that were sitting around not doing really much before this whole pandemic kicked off. They were approached by the media and the government and the Fauci's of the world and said, listen, we've got to wear the mask. We've got a social distance. If all of us do it, it'll all go back to normal. We're going to need your help. These people heard I'm important. I now have a purpose. And so they go out there with the belief in their head that they're going to do their part. Not a bad thing, right? Not, not in, to be fair, doing your part to make sure that other people don't get hurt is not a bad thing. But they were, they did that at the expense of reason and logic and actual science, not bot science, but, but real science. They checked their brain at the door and then went out and called the police on people for having too many cars in the, your neighbor's driveway on Thanksgiving. I mean, this is insane. And so it, it, it did something, you know, it, it really worked on the social justice warrior component of this because th- those people are obsessed with making everything a level playing field, which is unrealistic and, and unnecessary, but but that in their mind they're they're gonna do whatever they can to make it fair for everybody. So so th- they they were whipped up into a frenzy because finally they were important. They had something to do. And so I, I feel like people that 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 took on that role of enforcer or brown shirt or whatever you want to call them those are the people that are going to be extremely dangerous in the next stage of this evolution, which is when you get to the climate component and yeah. you have the same sort of mentality, the same sort of me- media-fueled um, um, insanity where people are Yeah, they're are shifting all- those gears now. It's, it, the climate sure. lockdowns are coming. Uh, we'll take one final time out. Charlie, stick with us. Deputizing morons. I love it. Charlie Robinson, hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Back with more in a minute. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And a few minutes remain with Charlie Robinson. Uh, His latest is Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. And again, Hypocrisy spelled H-Y-P-O and then Crazy, C-R-A-Z-Y, Hypocrazy. Uh, I want to just crib here from your book, Charlie. Insanity of the Woke Mob. You're right. It's worth pointing out that being woke is not the same thing as being awake. 
In fact, most people that think of themselves as woke are more asleep than others due to their focus on a small sliver of society at the expense of the big picture. The woke mob is like a swarm of piranhas that destroy everything in their path until there is nothing left. Then turn on each other because all they know is destruction. There is no negotiating with them. They cannot be reasoned with using logic or facts. And if someone bows down to them once, they will demand it forever. It's not a group of advocate. It's not. It is, it is not a group advocating for fairness in any fashion, despite what they might proclaim. In societal terms, the woke mob seeks to destabilize the country by creating chaos. Then, one thing. Once things are busted up, they'll attempt to insert their insane policies into the culture to transform it into the paradise that they are seeking. I love that analogy that the woke mob is like a swarm of piranhas. Um, Just ask Jordan Peterson. Yes. Recently when he said that I took the, I took the jab so that they would leave me alone and they didn't leave me alone. Yeah. That's what happens. You never take the knee. Exactly. Never apologize. Never take the knee. That's right. That's right. But, but as you point out, though, the, I guess the good point is that they once they're finished, they're like mad dogs. They once they finish attacking you when there's no one else to attack, they attack each other and ultimately they devour themselves. What stage are we in? Because we are starting to see these uh, these civil wars within certain groups. So, for example, now um, within the um, LGBTQ uh, plus or whatever the acronym is up to now, I'm not sure. But uh, now you've got, um, uh, you know, once you had radical feminists that were aligned uh, with these groups, and now the radical feminists are concerned about, you know, women-only spaces, and you have uh, trans activists that want, you know, transgendered uh, biological males who identify as women to compete in women's sports. You've got uh, they want to be, uh, in, you know, in allowed into uh, rape uh, um, shelters or uh, rape counseling or domestic uh, abuse shelters uh, into women's prisons. So now you've got this fissure happening. You've got these civil wars popping up all, you know, among this once homogenous, you know, group that they all kind of hung together. Now they're slowly breaking up. They're fighting. There's a lot of infighting. I think the people in that community that were actually marginalized by society for years and years and years the the trans community that was a very small segment very small uh trans community who you know for whatever reason they were born in the wrong body they have multi you know both sex organs or something it's got to be a tremendously difficult existence high school college meeting other what kind of relationships do i have with it i can't even imagine i wouldn't i wouldn't pretend to know what they're going through and most of my frustration isn't actually directed at those people those people are doing the best with the situation that they currently have but i think they're tired of the other people uh coming in and watering down their righteous uh, frustration with with the system or, 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 or with their push to grant them, you know, to, to gain additional rights for the trans community that we need to take care of the people that are in a, that are, in, you know, that need it. We do right. need to do that, they, but they're the, deserving of respect and protection. They need to be. Co- absolutely, absolutely. Of course. But when you come out and say that you're, pansexual for breakfast and you're gender fluid at lunch and you're non-binary at dinner 
people are going to laugh at you. And rightly so, because what you're doing is you're pretending that you're all of these things. And, and to that trans person who's actually fighting this fight and has the anxiety every day of which bathroom do I go? Do I look enough like a woman to go into this? I mean, it's got to be really frustrating. And then to see all of these other people that don't really have much of an excuse to be this up in arms the way they are, I think it's insulting. I think the trans community that sees that is is insulted by it. The gay community has ditched these people a long time ago. They want nothing to do with them. So it's it's an interesting it's interesting to see that it's not a it, it's it's there's no solidarity in the woke community. I mean, we're watching uh, three shot people turn on the two shot people now, right? Yes, you know, so yes. like, it's the it's the vaccine cast system, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is, and so what the thing is, it's like if you wanted fairness and equality for everyone. I'll listen, but that's not what they want. They want retribution and they want punishment and they want, they want to be taken. They want, they don't want equality. They want to be prioritized. And people see that and they go, this isn't about fairness. This is about you wanting yours. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an ideology that's going to last uh, for much longer. And when you have 56 different genders that you can pick from on Facebook, it's it's rightly going to be mocked, you know. So so it's it's it, you're in a weird spot where it's like you want to, you know, you, you need to kind of goof on these people because they're they're not serious people. But also you you recognize that by doing that, there are going to be some serious people in that group that unfortunately are going to go down with the ship because um because the, you know, they they do need our protection. They do need, res, you know, people to be reminded to to not be awful to them. But uh, but that's you're you're not the the woke mob is not helping the cause. They're they're doing what they they're doing what they do, which is they're really good at getting uh, publicity. But uh, there's not much substance behind it. So and once you just sort of pick at it a little bit, you, what you realize is that these people aren't aren't serious people. Well, and it, it would appear that they uh, that they may have overplayed their hand finally with let's say in particular with CRT, critical race theory in the schools, and they have awoken the sleeping giant. And we're seeing evidence of that, of course, a couple of Tuesdays ago with the. Uh, the election in a very deep blue state like Virginia now, a Republican governor, and uh, and and they are crediting parents. It's not about Democrat and Republican anymore. You've you've awoken the uh, the sleeping giant of parents. That's a pretty oh, I, big. I, I think a you big mean demographic. domestic terrorist, Richard. I think you mean <laughs> domestic terrorist. Sorry. There you go. Hypocrisy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. Uh, Charlie, great speaking with you. Terrific book. Love the cover as well. And uh, once again, how do we get a copy? You can find my book on Amazon in paperback and as a Kindle. You can find the digital version. If you want to bypass Amazon and come to me directly, you can do so at the website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. Just donate $10 or more in PayPal. I'll send you the book. So Fantastic. And what are you working on next? Oh, boy. I really want to turn the octopus into an eight-part television series. So I'm talking to people about that. Wow. Fantastic. And how do we listen to the podcast? Mac- macro oh. aggressions. 
Oh, Macroaggressions is available in audio format wherever podcasts are served. And in video format, you can find it on David Icke's platform, Iconic. It's over on Rockfin, Odyssey, and depending on the guest, sometimes on YouTube. All right. Charlie, great speaking with you again. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you, Richard. Charlie Robinson. All right. Back next week with Jim D. Eugenio, the 58th anniversary of JFK. Thanks to uh, Carlos and Ryan. Couldn't do it without you boys. Thank you so much. Uh, Back next week, as I say, in the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>